This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington on July 10th, 2016. The speaker is Brian Dixon. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. If you're new or this is your second time here with us, just want to thank you and say welcome for coming and hanging with us. Um, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I felt it was appropriate that I gave that introduction because after I shaved my beard off, a lot of people didn't recognize me. And so, um, literally, I had people throughout the week from church walk right by me, like a Starbucks stuff. I'm like, hey, how's it? okay, sounds good. And like, <laughs> later on, like, hey, how's it going? Like, oh, what are you doing here? I've like, been here the whole time. So, it's like, but, so you know. But Sam, he's on vacation uh, this week, and he'll be on vacation next week, so I get the privilege of sharing from God's Word with you guys this morning and next week. Um, just a couple quick things. Um, you know, Sam and I are a lot different. Uh, I will be a lot shorter in length with my sermon because he is a lot better at putting a lot of good stuff within an hour. I can't do that. It's just, I try, but it's not there. Also, um, I'm just shorter than Sam, and so this pulpit... Is <laughs> yeah, Shane, you need to make me one as well. No, so you know, it's just Sarah. She was joking with me. She's like, "Don't, don't go like this. No one's gonna see you." I was like, "All right." But, uh, we are going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 18, and if you haven't been following along with us, we uh, go through books of the Bible, and we've been in in Genesis, and. Uh, Last week, Sam shared a sermon out of Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, uh, we learned and saw that uh, that chapter is about the covenant of circumcision. And I am thankful that I don't have to preach that this morning to you guys. Sam did an excellent job of sharing that. We learned from that chapter that circumcision was the physical sign designed to set apart Abraham's descendants from other nations. We also learn that the believer today is circumcised spiritually in Christ through the renewal that comes from Christ's resurrection. That comes from Colossians chapter 2. But the other part of chapter 17 was God's promise to Abraham of his son Isaac. We see God reminding Abraham again of his promise to him and Sarah his wife of an heir to their blessing. But after years of trying and finding out that Sarah is barren and unable to have children and getting old to the point that it's not, they're not able to have children together, they're too old, let's listen to Abraham's response to God. In chapter 17, God has just told Abraham that he will bless Sarah and the and kings and nations will come from her. And Abraham responds to God in this way, chapter 17, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open those up. We're going to be in the vicinity of chapter 18. We'll go back and forth a little bit. But chapter 17, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? 
And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now, this is not the first time that God has promised Abraham offspring, that God has promised Abraham a son, nor is this the first time that Abraham has tried to change the plan, has tried to manipulate the promise. If we go to chapter 15, we see God addresses Abraham, then Abram. He hasn't changed his name yet. He does that in chapter 17. And he speaks to Abram's anxiety over prolonged childlessness. And this is a powerful passage where God comes to Abraham and says, I am your shield. Do not fear. I am your shield. So do not fear. So Abraham need not fear. God then confirms his promise to Abraham of offspring and land. But let's listen again. Let's, let's go to the text in chapter 15. We'll be in verse 3. Listen to Abram's appeal to God. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. See, it was customary in this time that if the patriarch, the head of the house, did not have children, then one of his servants would then get his blessing, his stuff. And so, Abram's going, well, Lord, let's go this route. Eliezer, he'll have that. Use him. God says, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. That is not my plan and my promise for you. Then we get to chapter 16. And we see Sarah, then Sarai, again her name hadn't been changed until chapter 17. Sarai is tired of waiting on God's promise. Sarai was unable to have children and in a desperate state comes up with her own plan. She's like, I got it. Chapter 16, verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Kind of similarly how Adam listened to the voice of Eve. This is not God's plan. This was not God's design and promise for them. This was sin. Yet in desperation, they go with it. And to sum up that story, it was a mess. A big mess. Ishmael comes from that. But the Lord rejects that plan and says, that's not what I have for you. That is not what I have for you. So from the time Abram is called, 
by God to now in our text in chapter 18. There's about 25 years. So 25 years they had been waiting for God's promise. For 25 years they've been going through mistakes and disappointments. For 25 years dealing with anxiety and fear and doubt in the power of God to fulfill His promises. But God and His purposes of grace are not held captive by human sin or adverse circumstances. He is the God who works out His purposes through weak and ordinary humans such as Abraham and Sarah. And so this is the backdrop to our text today. This is where we find Abraham and Sarah as we read Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1, and let's read that together. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent and to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out... And my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And this is the word of the Lord for us. So, the Lord comes to Abraham, appears to him in three men. Now, it's, it's really cool and interesting as you study this and you see that this is a, one of the first detailed representations and manifestations of God the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are delivering a message to Abraham. They are coming to him to tell them again about the promise. Now Abraham's response is not unusual 
in that it was customary in this time and where they lived, the desert, that if someone was to come onto your land, you take them in. You give them water. You give them some bread. You wash their feet. They didn't have shoes then. So they're walking around in the hot sand. You wash the feet. You, you, you comfort them in the heat of the day and then send them on their way. But Abraham's response to these men are different in that he treats them like royalty. He says, oh, you know, well, just wait here. I'll, I'll give you some bread. You know, I'll, I'll do all the customary things. I'll be right back. But he goes in and he prepares a meal that you would for someone who's royalty. Abraham saw that this was the Lord. Abraham saw that who was in his presence was someone of worth, of value, the king of kings. And so they prepare the meal. They give it to the Lord. They eat, and the Lord once again repeats his promise to Abraham and Sarah, who for the first time, Sarah is hearing the promise of offspring from God. When you look back at the text, we see that Abram, Abraham, he's the one who God appears to. He's the one that God speaks to, giving the promise. And to Sarah's credit, she trusts her husband. She stays by his side as he says, the Lord has spoken. The Lord has appeared to me. We're going to have a son. Obviously, in chapter 16, after waiting a long time, and finding out that she can't have kids, she makes her own plan and tries to go that way. But again, the Lord rejects that. The Lord again promises them a son. And in fact, the Lord says that it will happen within one year's time. You see that in verse 10. But Sarah's reaction upon hearing this mirrors her husband. As I shared in chapter 17, she laughs. Like Abraham, he fell on his face and laughed. But think about how Sarah is feeling when she hears this. Sarah is 90 years old. The way of women has ceased to be with her in verse 11, meaning her reproductive years have ended. So not only... Was she not able to have children to begin with, but she is past the time she could even have kids now if she was able to. Double whammy. Imagine how she feels as she hears the Lord speak these words. And she even's like, look at Abraham. He's old. How is this, like, come on, Lord. How is this going to work? This isn't going to work. At this point in the story, a question came to mind. And uh, why, God? Why do you do things like this? Why do you choose to do things like this? You ever had that thought about God? Like, God, why do you do things like this? 
Why do you choose to go this route? Do you think it surprised God that the man he chose to uh, build a nation through, his wife was barren? No. So why did God choose them? And then why did God wait so long that even if they were able to have children, they're too old now? God, why do you do that? Why do you choose to do things the way you do, Lord? The answer is found in the response by the Lord to Sarah in verse 14. The Lord says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, is there anything too hard for the Lord? We know the answer to that rhetorical question is, well, no. There's nothing too hard for God. Of course, He can do whatever He wants. In fact, I mean, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, like, man, God's on my side. We can do anything. But if we're being honest, a lot of times our response to that question is more like Abraham and Sarah, and we laugh at God. We present to God our rational, common-sense disagreements to this question all the time because in truth, we do not expect more from God than what we can comprehend. God, I cannot see how you can do that. How can you make this happen? There is no way. It has to be through means that make sense. Abraham and Sarah do this. God, this doesn't make sense. Why are you doing it this way? Take Ishmael. Take, take my servant. Do, do anything that makes sense. Because this doesn't make sense. Abraham and Sarah thought that the only way God could perform the impossible was through comprehensible human means. But God doesn't use comprehensible human means to fulfill His promises. He uses incomprehensible, supernatural means that has nothing to do with us. Why does God do this? Why does He choose to do things this way? To put us in that position. To back us into that corner going, How, Lord? How is this going to work? How is this going to happen? There's no way. The answer. Why does God do this? To magnify and make much of His sovereign grace. To highlight His power and control. To display his magnificence. And this is good. There are many who go, why would, you, why would you ever follow a God who's so egocentric? Who's all about himself. He's always drawing attention to himself. He's always displaying himself. What kind of good God does that makes everything about himself? Well, let me tell you. A God who knows that he is the best thing ever. The God who knows that what we need is Him. The God who knows that if He does not declare Himself in this way, that we will run to the darkness, that we will hide in areas to get away from our pain, 
because we would not know how else to get out of it. I mean, think about it. If he didn't do this, if he didn't display himself in such a way, we would not know the God who spoke things into existence. We would not know the God who uh, flooded the entire earth. The God who parted the Red Sea to set his people free. The God who shut the mouths of lions that Daniel would live. The God who entered the scorching furnace to save his servants. The God born of a virgin. The God who lived a perfect life. The God who healed the sick and raised the dead. The God who calmed a storm with a word. The God who took on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. The God who cannot be defeated by sin, the devil, or death. And the God who can save any and every sinner who calls on His magnificent name. This is why He displays Himself in such a way. And this is why we, as followers of Christ, can say, like Luke wrote down in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, His Gospel, for nothing will be impossible for God. And this was in reference to the virgin birth. How, how is that possible? It's not possible. It's not humanly possible for this to happen. You're right. God. As the rich young man turned down Jesus' offer to follow him, a man who was doing everything right, following God's commands. I follow your commands. I follow the law. To put in our context, a guy who shows up and says the right stuff, does the right stuff, lifts his hands for worship, and is so excited, and shows up to all the events, and he serves. But when Jesus approaches and says, it's me and me only, he walks away. And as he walks away, Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And upon hearing this, his disciples in distress go, well, then who can be saved, Jesus? Who could possibly be saved? This guy's a man of status. This guy followed the commandments. Who has any hope? And Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, no one can be saved unless God performs a magnificent act of power and changes someone's heart. The greatest surgeon in the world could not perform something this miraculous. Only God can do this. Think of your own conversion. It is God who saves 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. God does the work. God saves. It is a God thing. So, what is impossible to you? 
what is impossible to you. And I'm, I'm not talking like kind of lofty impossibilities, just like, oh, I'll never be in the NBA, or I'll never fly, or I'll never, whatever. you know, like, like we can all kind of go down that trail, but in your real life, think on the times you were in a scenario where you said, this is impossible. This is not working out. How can this possibly work? Maybe your marriage is failing and falling apart. It feels unbearable. It feels like things will never get better and your spouse has left you, hurt you, betrayed you, and the chances of finding resolve seem impossible. There's no way, Lord. I can't stand them anymore. There's no way this is going to be resolved. Or maybe... You have an addiction, an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography, and the addiction has such a strong grasp on you, it feels impossible that you will ever be able to overcome it. The harder I try, the more I fall back into it. What's wrong with me? This is impossible. Maybe your depression is so dark, you feel blind at times. Or your depression is so deep, you feel like you're drowning. Maybe your depression is so heavy, you can't lift your head. It feels impossible that you will ever feel normal again. Or maybe your loved one is in the hospital, having surgery. And the outcome is scary. It's grim. And you're scared. Why, God? Why? Why do you choose to do things like this? Why do you do these things, Lord? I want to encourage you this morning. Whatever it may be that seems impossible to you, whatever came to mind, maybe something resonated with you as I spoke or something else came to mind, whatever that may be, I want us to hear the Lord speaking to us these words this morning, is anything too hard for the Lord? Or making it personal, is there an addiction too hard that I can't overcome it? Is there a marriage so broken that I can't fix it? Is there a child so crazy that I can't rein them in? Is there anything too hard for me, the Lord? I want to take time to look at the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. And this is Genesis chapter 21. I invite you to turn there with me. Now remember, as I read through this, in chapter 17, Abraham laughs at the Lord as the Lord says, you're going to have a kid. He's like, okay. And then in 18, again, Sarah laughs as she hears the Lord present this promise to them. In chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 1. 
the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I don't know if you know this, but Isaac, his name means he laughs. So imagine that reminder. Remember the impossible? Remember how impossible it was? Remember how you, how you laughed? Look at that beautiful boy. Look at that promise right there before you. Amazing. All his life, Abraham awaited the birth of his child. But as we will go on through uh, Genesis, we find that that laughter quickly starts turning to pain. As there will be rivalries, the command to sacrifice Isaac and the death of Sarah. What is God trying to teach us through Abraham's experience? More so as Moses wrote this Genesis. He's writing it to God's people as they are entering into the promised land and they're entering in without their priests and without their wisdom. So, Moses writes it down. And what does he want the people to know and to see from Abraham's experience? I believe he wants them to be prepared for the birth of the Messiah, as we know as Jesus Christ who came to save people from their sins, but whose birth and life was also associated with pain and with suffering. This is the way God works out His promises in the lives of His people. Pain is normally the channel through which divine blessing and favor flows. For it is pain that brings us to truly trust in God. It is adversity that convinces us of the empty things of this world. Suffering is God's fatherly way of drawing us to Himself. The Bible says that God is a good Father. He's a good Father. And He disciplines those whom He loves. God makes Himself known. Makes much of His name, of His sovereign grace then God just doesn't leave us out to flounder. But God teaches us. In fact, He gives us His Holy Spirit, as was prophesied in Ezekiel, 
that your heart will be changed and you will be able to obey me because I've made it so through my Spirit. The Christian life involves looking our difficult circumstances in the face and with God's promises, define the discouragements, define the disappointments, and define the frustrations that tempt us to abandon hope in God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. For He has done the hardest thing in becoming one of us and dying for us. Think about that. He set aside His Lordship, His place in heaven and comes down as a man and dies the death we deserved. Remember, it was the ultimate pain that achieved the fulfillment of God's promises. For all the promises of God were achieved not through sufficient human obedience. It was not through any other humanly generated strategy, but through a cross. God's promises were achieved through a cross and came to completion at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why we come and we worship. That is why we come and celebrate a God who has made himself known. A God who has exalted his name because he also made himself lowly. He also bore the sins of us. He took it to the cross. But in his power, rose from the dead. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the word of God, and power, they go together. We cannot separate the power of God from his word. There is power in our God. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of our Lord who has saved us, who has given us His Spirit, who has loved us tremendously. So we partake in communion. And we declare together each week that God's body was broken. And that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And we declare the power of God that he did not stay dead, but he rose from the dead. And he is alive. Our God is alive. We are not serving a dead God, but a God who lives. Seated at the right hand of God the Father, working in and through us through his Holy Spirit. Interceding on our behalf. Amen, and thank you, Jesus. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing is impossible with God. This is why we celebrate. This is why we sing. This is why we lift up the name of Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord for us.